Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you're looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. The biblical definition of joy is two words, and it's the first line there in your notes if you're you're following on taking notes, and it's this. Uh, The word delight and gladness. Now, there's probably a dozen words that these definitions um, spread out against, but these are the two that are most common and most recurring in all the definitions through the biblical language, delight and gladness. So tonight we're going to spend all of our time, or most of our time, in one passage of Scripture, John chapter 14, verses 23 through 31. Uh, It'll be on your notes there uh, if you have your notes, or you can just open up your Bible app or your physical Bible, that thing with paper and words in it. Um, that, well, that's a bad joke, sorry. Um, that you can follow along. But John 14, verses 23 through 31. Let's read this. Now, Jesus replied, All who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. That by itself right there is enough to just read and then be encouraged and walk right out. But we're going to keep going. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I am telling you is from the Father who sent me. I am telling you these things now while I am still with you. But when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is, the Holy Spirit, He will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Remember what I told you. I am going away, but I will come back to you again. If you really love me, you would be happy that I am going to the Father, who is greater than I am. I have told you these things before they happen, so that when they do happen, you will believe. I don't have much more time to talk with you, because the ruler of this world approaches. He has no power over me, but I will do what the Father requires of me so that the world will know that I love the Father. Come, let's be going. There is quite a bit in these, you know, seven or eight verses right here that I want to unpack, but three things in particular that I want us to focus on when we're talking about the reasons to choose joy. Okay, so we're number one here in our notes. One of the reasons that we should choose joy is because God gave us the Holy Spirit. Because God gave us the Holy Spirit. Verse 26 of that passage we just read um, speaks to this very fact. But when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, He will teach you everything and remind you of everything I have told you. So before we just dive right into that, I want to go, I want to take a quick step back into the Old Testament and give us a quick refresher for some of those who already know this and maybe give some new information for people who don't. Uh, when the children of Israel uh, were, were a, a newly formed nation, God gave them some very specific instructions about a tabernacle and a temple to build. It was um, pretty much a big box shape, big kind of square, rectangular building, but it had three levels inside of it. There was the outer courts, the inner courts, and the, the, the most intimate place was the Holy of Holies. These areas were all all separated from each other, but inside the Holy of Holies, no one was allowed to go except for one person. That person was a priest, and inside the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was a real thing. 
It is a real thing. There's still people looking for it. Archaeologists, you know, consider it would be like the crown jewel of archaeology to find. Some people claim they've already found it. Who knows? Because no one really knows in, in kind of the general consensus. But uh, the, what I want you to understand is that the Ark of the Covenant is not a prop from a 1980s Indiana Jones movie. It is a real thing. And there were very specific guidelines to, uh, to the Ark. It had to be layered in gold and you couldn't touch it. Um, it had to be carried and transported a certain way. It couldn't be wheeled like on, a, like on a cart. It had to be carried with these poles by certain people, priests. And so there's a lot of, a lot of a very careful regulation that God put on the Ark of the Covenant. On top of the Ark was this lid, which they referred to as the mercy seat. And there was these um, sculptures of cherubim. Now, cherubim were the, um, the most holy, uh, like the, the highest angels that are flying around the throne room of God. They have multiple wings. It's actually the only angel in the Bible that's referred to to have wings. I didn't know if you know that or not, but um, the rest of them don't. It's the only one that has them. And it has four, and they're constantly flying around the throne room of God saying, holy, holy, holy. Well, it had, had a, a picture of these, or it had a, like a form of these cherubim that were, that were molded and formed on top of it. And what would happen is that the Spirit of God, the very presence of God, would descend down and it would rest on the mercy seat, on the top of the Ark of the Covenant in between these two angels. It was the physical presence of God that was manifest there. Okay? So, it was very important and very very exclusive because one time a year a priest was allowed to go inside the holy of holies this sectioned off area very small in the the very core of the tabernacle that was it <clears throat> um so when they when when the uh, the priest would go in they would make a sacrifice they had before they went in they had to go through all of these cleansing rituals. They had to go through all of these um, specific things to, to dress a certain way, to, uh, to, to do certain things, to wash their hands. Um, and only one person was allowed in that, um, that, inner, that inner place uh, with the Ark of the Covenant, with the presence of God. Only one person allowed and it was a priest. The priest would then make a sacrifice at the, during the, uh, in the Holy of Holies with the Ark of the Covenant, he'd make a sacrifice. He would kill an animal and sacrifice it there and ask God to forgive not his sins, but the sins of the entire nation. You're talking hundreds of thousands and eventually millions of people were trusting this guy to get it right, to walk into the Holy of Holies on their behalf and ask God to forgive the sins and transgressions for the entire nation. Talk about pressure. Like, you don't get up and speak every week. That's its own kind of pressure. But this, man, that was pressure. What added to the pressure was that they would actually tie a rope around his waist because if he didn't follow one of these ceremonial rituals of cleansing and dressing a certain way, when he walked into the Holy of Holies, bam, he was immediately dead, and they'd pull him out by the rope and then get somebody else and be like, hey, bro, don't miss the third step like this guy. You know what I mean? And they'd send him in there. So it was a very, very precious, very specific um, thing that happened. So the tabernacle had three curtains. This next line in your notes had three curtains. And the Holy of Holies was separated from the rest of the area by a massive veil. Now, um, Exodus 26 tells us a little bit about this veil. 
It was made of finely spun linen of multiple colors, white, blue, purple, and scarlet. It, was, it had woven inside of the veil. It had decorations of the cherubim. They had to be sewn in. It was hung by gold hooks from four covered acacia wood pillars that rested upon massive sockets and foundations of silver. This was beautiful. It was extravagant and it was expensive. There was a high price for it. Jack Wellman, who is a pastor, author, and a, and a theological teacher, had this to say about the specifics of the, the veil that surrounded the Holy of Holies. Listen to this. This is incredible. The veil was 60 feet long, 30 feet wide, and, more than an, and about an inch thick. It was so massive and heavy, it took 300 priests, 300 grown men to manipulate it, to to be able to move it around, to hang it properly. 300 priests. The reason it was made this thick and this heavy was so no one could inadvertently trip and stumble into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God, and die because they did not perform the rituals to go in there. When we think of a veil today, we think of a wedding, right? Like the bride walks down and they have that nice little lace, you know, mesh thing that rips real easy, you know. Um, and you can kind of see her through it and they take it up when they, you know, put it behind her head when they go and, and, and meets her husband, right? Um, but this veil was far different. You couldn't see through this one. It was massive. It was thick. And it was put there for a purpose, See, the word veil in Hebrew actually means to separate. The purpose of the veil was to separate the presence of God from everybody else. The purpose was to keep it separate. Now, when we talk about Jesus dying on the cross, we know what happened, right? He's on the cross. He's there for hours. He cries out, it is finished. <clears throat> the, the sky turns black. There's an earthquake. You know, he dies. They pierce him in the side to make sure he's dead. They take him off the cross, put him in the tomb. He, raised, he rises from the dead three days later. Everybody knows that. That is the glorious part of the gospel. But there is something else that the Bible calls out very specifically that happened when he died. And it's the next line in your notes. When Jesus died on the cross, God tore the veil in two. It means that he took that massive curtain, that separation between the Holy of Holies, where the Spirit of God would be, he ripped that sucker in half and said, I am no longer, because of the sacrifice and blood of Christ, I am no longer separating my spirit and my presence from everyone else. Now, what happens is we have, it is available to every single person immediately and directly. It was a sign to us that through faith in Christ, we were no longer separated from the Spirit of God. You have direct access. If you are a believer in Christ and a child of God, you have to remember consistently that you have direct access to the Holy Spirit. Why is that important? Well, it's massively important, but let me just go over a couple of things that the Holy Spirit does. I don't have time to read all these scriptures, but I'm going to give you the references for them so you can go back and study them later. So in the next line of your notes here, these five quick little bullet points, the Holy Spirit comforts us. 
He comforts us. We see that in John chapter 14, verse 15. The Holy Spirit teaches and reminds us what Jesus taught. We see that in John 14, 26. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. We see that in John 16, chapter 8. The Holy Spirit guides us to truth in John 16, 13. And He helps us overcome our sinful nature. That's in Romans 18, 13. Okay, Matt, well, you've given me a little bit of a history lesson. You told me what the Holy Spirit does. Why in the world does that matter? It matters because the next line of your notes is very important. When we get saved and become true, born-again believers in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. He comes to live inside of us. You ever seen that, uh, that bumper sticker, you know, like, or the t-shirt that says, Jesus is my co-pilot? Or he's my homeboy. It's almost like he's standing next to me. No, he's not next to you. He's inside of you, helping you navigate the issues of life. How do you know that? I'm glad you asked. 1 Corinthians 3, chapter 16. This is Paul talking to Christian believers. Do you not know that you are God's temple and the God's spirit dwells in you? Pretty straightforward. Romans 8, uh, verses 9. Uh, verse 9, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. If you are a believer in Christ, you are born again, you are now his, and now the spirit of God Almighty is resting inside of you. This is a wildly genius design by God. Now, why? And now, well, first of all, me saying God is genius is like a grain of sand looking at Jupiter and go, hey, you're kind of big, right? Like, it's a massive difference. It's uncomparable. But I think you understand what I'm saying. This is a brilliant design for us, and here's why. We do not have to go and pursue one person to find out what God wants for us. We don't have to go to the right conference. We don't have to dig up the right prophet. We don't have to go find the right faith healer. We don't have to go to the right convention. We don't have to go and travel to some far, far away place. We don't have to sit in front of some guru or some special teacher with special knowledge. We don't have to do any of that. We don't have to go and, and, and a mass of people and walk around a wall and touch, um, uh, and touch some sacred monument. And if we can't get close enough to it, pick up rocks and throw it at it. We don't have to go to a certain river and wash, in, uh, and wash ourselves in the water from that river to try to get something from God. None of that is required of us. We don't have to go to one place. God said, you don't have to come to one place. I'm going to come to you. And if you're my child, that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God's going to be inside of you, which means every single person who is a believer in Christ has immediate access to the Holy Spirit at any time you need, without reservation, no appointment needed, any time of day, He's there immediately, not just beside you, inside you, working out. Let me further drill down what that really means for us. And I want you to pay very close attention because there are times where the burdens of life can, can, can weigh on our mind and our heart and our spirit so much that we tend to forget the promise. So listen to this. The spirit of the Almighty... Here's what I'm telling you. 
the spirit of the almighty God, the formulator and creator of the universe who made you, shaped you in your mother's womb, knows your thoughts, your tendencies, your struggles, and your strength is living inside of you if you are a believer and gives comfort in the middle of trials, teaches you and helps you understand his word, lets you know when you do something wrong, shows, shows you the way to find absolute truth and empowers you to overcome your fleshly sinful desires that is already inside of you if you are a believer in Christ. You know what else is inside of you? The access to talk with him, communicate with him, ask him for things according to his will. Unload your burdens to him all day, every day. He goes with you. He never leaves you or forsakes you. He provides a way of escape when we mistakenly get ourselves into destructive situations. He grows eternal fruit of love and joy in our life and despite our circumstance and then causes a new level of self-control to grow in your heart so that when I do get into dicey situations, he shows me a way out of it. He helps me to avoid getting into unhealthy situations. He provides me a way of escape. And then he leads me back to his word, to Christ, and through scripture shows me the path of life that is living inside you right now. Right now. That's just the tip of the iceberg of the scriptural things I could pull out in the last two minutes to tell you the goodness of God Almighty and His Spirit that resides inside of you. If that is true and all of that has, is, I have access to that and that is residing with His presence inside of me, my question is, how can you not choose joy? How can you not delight in him? How can you not be glad in him? Because he has overcome everything already. He has defeated every foe. And that power is resting inside of you, not as some ooh thing, as the third person of the Trinity. If you became a believer in Christ, the spirit of God is inside of you. How can we not pick joy? He's the third person of the Trinity. The, the Trinity. Do not forget, next line of your notes, that the Holy Spirit of the Almighty God lives in you. He lives in you. That Spirit, the same power that created the universe, formed the first man and holds everything and our puny little universe together lives in you. Don't be afraid. Don't give in to worry. Be free of the bondage of sin and choose joy because God gave us his Holy Spirit. Number two, <clears throat> another reason we should pick choose joy is because God's gifts are awesome. Because God's gifts are awesome. John 14 uh, 27 says, I am leaving you with a gift, <clears throat> peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift that the world cannot give. <clears throat> Let me give you um, a quick analogy here that's going to seem a little ridiculous, but that's kind of what it's for. Okay. So let's pretend for a second that I have a, uh, a pad of paper in my hand. Okay. And Jules is our resident artist here. And so let's just say I, I gave this pad of paper to, to Jules over here. And I said, draw an, draw an eyeball on the front page. And she drove an eyeball on this pad of paper. Okay. And she laid it right here. 
And then I took this device that I used to kind of study and preach off of my iPad and put it down. And I draw a comparison between the two. If I come to you and say, hey, I want to give you a gift of an iPad. And you, what's the, the thing you think of? This device with a screen that is powerful, that does everything else. But I say, wait a minute. Not that. And I pick up the pad of paper that she just drew an eyeball on. And I said, this is an eye pad of paper. <clears throat> you would look at me like I was the biggest snake oil salesman. You would be like, you would probably chuckle and then be mad. You know, like people who, who, who look at their lottery numbers and they realize you didn't win. You know what I mean? Like that kind of mad, like I'm, I'm happy and excited and all of a sudden, this stinks, man. This stinks, right? So, so if I gave you the iPad, the pad of paper with the eyeball on it, the iPad, like this bougie one. Let's just take a look at it for a second. Is it good for anything? Yeah. It's got some benefit, right? Like we can take notes. Like if we were here at the message, we want to take some notes and we could take notes on that pad of paper, right? <clears throat> we could um, make a to-do list for our kids to clean the house. You know what I mean? Um, and with a hope that they would accomplish all those things that we give them, you know? We could... Um, uh, we could leave a note for our husband or wife. You know, when we left for work, hey, love you, have a great day. You know, leave it on the car or the, the, the window or whatever. We could communicate to somebody who's coming over who maybe they don't have a phone or their phone's broken. Hey, I ran to the store. I'll be right back, you know, I'll be back by 10 and it's 9.30. You can leave a note on the door. You could draw a picture. My pictures would be like stick figures, which would not be very fun, but you could draw a picture, right? You could do a couple of things on this I pad of paper. It's not completely useless. There, there is some use to it. But when you look at the real iPad, this thing has an app that comes on every single one of them that takes notes. Just a default position. I looked on my iPad uh, before this message, and I don't know if this is a good or bad thing, but I have 1,526 notes on that thing. I can categorize them into uh, an infinite number of different um, categories or, or areas or folders, and I can keep recipes separate. I can keep scripture references separate. I can keep notes or journal entries separate. I can do all of these things separate in an infinite number of ways, but the typical pad of paper has, what, 50 sheets on it? This thing has limitations and it will run out. But if I keep this thing properly plugged into the correct source and connected to the Wi-Fi appropriately, this thing will do more than, I've e than I will ever need it to do. The power and functionality inside this gift, which is the real gift, outside of this bougie gift that does have some, some kind of a, a benefit, but not anywhere anything in comparison... Um, it is, it, you can't even really compare the two. On the pad of paper, if I write on the iPad, the, 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 the pad of paper, and if I write the wrong word, I have to go back and scribble it out if I make a mistake. I have to 
maybe throw the paper away if I need to make a new list or if I put something in order and went, oh man, I forgot step number three and you have to draw these arrows around and, you know, and, and, and it, it keeps all, it just gets cumbersome after a while and eventually it runs out. But with the gift of the iPad, when I make a mistake, I just go back and delete it and there's no record of my wrong. There is, when I'm starting to write something down, there's something inherent inside of the software that tells me, hey, you made a mistake right here. Come back and fix this. It underlines it for me. It actually gives me suggestions of what I might say to communicate better whenever I'm writing things down. It has all of this inherently built into it because it has infinitely more power, more lasting durability, more capability than this little bitty gross iPad. This thing costs hundreds of dollars and the brand new one's probably over a thousand bucks. This iPad, I can get three for a buck at the dollar store. It's nothing. This is kind of a ridiculous analogy, right? Because who would do that, right? Draw an eyeball on a piece of paper, except for the weirdo here speaking, right? And then compare it to an iPad versus an iPad. But this is the similar comparison when we try to find the peace that God promises on our own without him. What do we do? People try to find peace in a whole bunch of different places, right? Some people try personal independence. They think if I can just pull myself up by the bootstraps and I can just build my own business or do my own thing or have my own house or be my own man or be my own woman, that will bring me the kind of satisfaction and peace I'm looking for, but it never does. Some people try to find peace in money. Chasing cash and materialism and, and, and thinking that the more they have and the more famous or the more popular they become because of their finances, that it gives them some type of, it, it, will, it will alleviate the nagging uh, lack that's in their heart. Some people try counseling and therapy as they think that, that that is the source of peace. Some people try different forms of medication because they think, man, if I can just uh, fix this emotion or fix this feeling or get rid of this piece of pain, it might bring me some type of peace. Some people try to find peace in sex and sexual relationships that are outside of marriage and in giving into whatever their flesh wants. But ultimately, all of these things run out. Are you saying that all those things are bad, Matt? Not at all. I, I can give you scripture that talks about being independent and standing on your own. You're going to stand before, on your own before Christ and before God at the end, end of time and in the judgment seat and give an account for your life. You're going to stand by yourself to do that. Is money wrong to have? No, it's wrong when it has you. Is counseling and therapy wrong? No, but... Ultimately, if it doesn't point back to Christ, it's just self-help and self-help runs out because self-discipline runs out. Is medication wrong? No, but it wears off. It doesn't solve the problem. It doesn't give the peace. Does illicit sexual encounters with people who are not our husband and wife, does that, does that bring peace? No. Is sex bad? No. But none of these things are wrong in their proper context. Specifically, sex and marriage. Medication, when it's pro uh, provided to you by someone who's giving you a regimen of something to heal. 
counseling and therapy. Mental health needs to be addressed. The church has pushed it away for a very long time. We need to address the issue. Money is needed to to promote the gospel and what we do in simple living. These things are not wrong in and of themselves, but outside of the right context, they will always fail because they can never be the source of peace. Next on your notes, all of these have their place can be useful and beneficial in some capacity, but they fail in comparison to the gift of peace of mind and heart that the Lord gives to His children. They are merely the iPad of paper. They eventually run out. You'll eventually need something else. They will not be your source. But God's gift of peace is far different. Here's why. Here's what God's gift of peace gives us. These next little five bullet points here in your notes. Ready? God's gift of peace passes all understanding. God's gift of peace calms the emotions of your heart. God's gift of peace settles the worries in your mind. God's gift of peace diffuses the tension of your troubled soul. God's gift of peace annihilates fear. What does this mean, Matt? When it passes all understanding, that means that it doesn't matter what environment you were in, what family you were born into, where you were raised. If you were raised poor, middle class, upper class, rich, elite, it doesn't matter if you were if, if the only boat that you saw was one on television or you went out on your dad's boat. It didn't matter if the only lake that you saw was the one in your backyard or the ones that you ever heard about in geometry class. It doesn't matter where you fell on any spectrum. It doesn't matter that... Um, that if you were, if you were, um, felt like you were neglected or you were given love, it doesn't matter because your circumstance never determines God's peace. That scripture didn't say that God will give you the gift of his peace of mind if everything is all right around you. If every, if your family isn't crazy, if your friends aren't talking about you behind your back, if your church was just the, the best thing in the world, it doesn't say that all of these elements had to be proper for these gifts to be enacted in you. No, that's what means what it means when God gives peace and it passes all understanding. People who grow up in these, people in the world think that if you grew up in this underprivileged, poverty-stricken, abusive relationships, that you, you they go, oh my gosh, how can that work? How in the how in the world can anybody succeed? Because God steps in with the Holy Spirit power we just talked about and transforms the person regardless where you are. That is peace that passes all understanding. If you are out of control and there is emotions of fear and worry and angst and anxiety all the time in your heart, he can calm that in an instant when his presence is there. He can settle the worries of an overthinking mind. That is me right here. He can calm that down. He diffuses the tension of a troubled soul. Sometimes the tension that I caused myself, he can annihilate fear. You have not been given a spirit of fear, but a power and of love and a sound mind. God identified these gifts that he gave to his children, the Holy Spirit, peace of heart and peace of mind. That right there is enough to jump up and do a Jericho march around the house, but please don't. I want the thing to stay standing. 
That's enough to sit here and shout and yell, yell and holler and scream and throw somebody on the organ and woo and just get all crazy right now. That is enough of it. But there is something beyond that that is even better. He says it in the next verse, verse 28. Remember what I told you. I'm going away, but I am coming back to you again. The ultimate gift that we have is the Lord is coming back to this earth one day to get his kids. The Lord is coming to establish his throne that will never fail. And the Lord is coming to take us to eternity with him. I look at every single one of the gifts that he gives. None of those gifts get me out of pain, get me away of trouble situations. None of these things get me away from uh, the, the hardship of life. What it does is it allows me to deal with it in a way that I can't on my own because the power of the Spirit of God has given me the peace of heart and the peace of mind and a guarantee that I spend eternity with Him. I choose joy because I look at the gifts He gave and know that those things are merely an appetizer for the main course that's coming, which is heaven and eternity with him. I pick joy because God gives gifts to his kids and they are stinking awesome. Your boy's a little worked up today. Sorry. I'm sweating. Number three, final reason we're going to talk about tonight, why we should choose joy. Because the enemy is defeated. Because the enemy is defeated. Verses 30 and 31 in that same passage we read, Jesus addresses it. I don't have much more time to talk to you because the ruler of this world approaches. He's talking about the devil. He has no power over me, but I will do what the Father requires of me so that the world will know I love the Father. Come, let's be going. These two scriptures right here are evidence, just one piece of multitudes of evidence throughout scripture. The next line of your notes, the enemy of our souls is real. He is real. The Bible refers to him, the enemies of our souls, by a few different names, including Lucifer, Satan, and the devil, and in some instances, the thief. All of these names are just different ways to describe the God's enemy, the enemy of our soul. And so let's see what the goal of the enemy is. John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief, another name for Lucifer, Satan, and the devil, the thief's purpose is to kill, steal, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. If the goal of the enemy of God is to steal, kill, and destroy, he's going to, do, he's going to steal, kill, or destroy anything that he has access to. And one of the many things the enemy would like to steal from us is joy. <clears throat> If he can come in and take that and make you miserable and you go to heaven, he's not happy because you went to heaven, but he's at least happy that he made you miserable along the way. And if you're miserable, there's a high probability you're not sharing your faith with somebody else. In my old school church, and just believe me, that was old school. I'm going to tell you exactly how old it was. But um, my old school church, they used to say things like this, and they used to sing a song with this lyric in it. The world didn't give me this joy I have, and the world can't take it away. And there was, when they would say that as a kid, I would be like, ooh, that's kind of zingy, like a little one-liner. But these people, they said it with an attitude. Man, the world didn't give me this. 
you ain't about to take my joy. It was almost like a matter of fact thing. And I never understood how could they be so sure until I read scriptures like we just read, because the enemy has already been defeated. In this passage, Jesus hasn't even been to the cross yet. And he brushes that fool off to the side and says, he has no power over me. He knows he's coming. He knows crucifixion is in his near future. He knows torture. He knows beating. He knows a crown of thorns. He knows knows um, um, the most torturous pain that can be inflicted on a person before they die is coming his way. And what does he say? We know that the the ruler of the world is coming, but I'm going to keep doing what um, I'm going to fulfill the will of my father. People are going to see that I love my father. And then he has what I would classify as one of the greatest subtle drop the mic moments that we have in scripture. He says this, knowing all that's coming, knowing he's going to face opposition from the enemy, knowing that God has allowed the enemy, his father has allowed the enemy to, uh, to orchestrate a plan to kill him and torture him and hang on that cross until he dies. He says this, come, let's be going. It doesn't matter. I'm going to go do what the will of my father is anyway. I'm going to keep pressing ahead. I'm not going to let this little gnat to stop me because uh, stop me to, from fulfilling what God has purposed for me to do. I am going to just say, you know what? I know he's out there, but I don't care. And I'm going to push through it and continue moving and fulfilling the purpose that God has laid out in front of me. The fact that our Savior has zero concern, the next line of your notes, the fact that our Savior has zero concern that the enemy will stop him should be a great encouragement to us as believers in Christ. Why should that be an encouragement to us? I ain't Jesus. How come that should be an encouragement to us? Why should we be encouraged? I mean, this is talking about Jesus. First uh, John chapter 4, verses 4 lists out um, something that's very specific. The church is going through a time where they're facing opposition. There are false prophets, prophets that they refer to as antichrist prophets, people who are basically prophets for the enemy. They're telling people, you can go to heaven by some other way other than Jesus. You can go to heaven. You don't need this scripture. You don't need to follow Peter. You don't need to follow Paul. You don't need to follow this Jesus guy. We can tell you a different way to get to heaven. And people who say that and and promote people to get to God's eternity, God's promised glory outside of God's path are being influenced and controlled by the enemy. They're experiencing this this same opposition, and then John reminds them something in 1 John 4, 4. But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won victor, victory over those people, those false prophets, that opposition, because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. If you're old school and a King James per- person, you might have heard it said like this, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. <clears throat> The enemy only has the power over those who don't belong to the Lord and over anyone, including believers, who entertain his lies. 
How in the world does he have that power over me? Because am I going to listen to the almighty, powerful spirit of God that rests inside of me? Or am I going to, uh, going to look at the situation around me, ignore the almighty God that is resting inside of me, and look at the lie of the enemy that says, you have to worry about this person dying. You have to worry that you're not going to make it. You have to worry that the financial things will never be met. You have to worry that you'll never, that, that where's your next meal coming from? You have to worry about what the clothes that you're wearing. You have to worry about your provision. You have to worry about the people in your life who aren't unsaved. And on and on and on. And what does that do? It puts you in a position where he can steal your joy. But my friends, Jesus gives us the perfect recipe to deal with the devil. Devil, it's four things. You ready? This is going to be real quick. Read scripture. Read scripture. Why? We have to know what Jesus said. We have to know God's word. We have to know what we have been promised as children of God. We have to know what our inheritance is. We have to know the truth of the gospel. So we have to read scripture. The second ingredient in the recipe is remember scripture. We got to put it to memory. We have to memorize what it says. Even in the Old Testament, the psalmist said, Your word have I hid in my heart so I, will not, so I may not sin against you. He's saying, I need to understand what the commands of my God are and my Savior are so that when there's moments I need to, to, to do something and act or react in a certain way, I know which way I should go and not commit sin. We got to remember scripture. The third thing, third ingredient in this recipe, recite scripture. You got to recite scripture. You got to read the scripture to understand what it says, memorize the scripture, and then when there is a moment where you are overcome by fear, by worry, by hatred, by anger, by frustration, by whatever it is, you need to out of your mouth not say your words, but God's words. Now, let me stop right here for a second. There is a teaching that's alive in the, in the body of Christ that says you need to just speak it out. Just name it and claim it. And whatever you say is going to happen, that is not scriptural. What I'm telling you to say here is the actual word of God. When Jesus was tempted by the enemy in the wilderness, what happened? He spoke the word, the scripture of God to the enemy. If you feel like you are facing uh, opposition, you, you feel like you are facing resistance from the enemy, you feel like it pops up every once in a while and a bombardment of crazy thoughts that run across your mind or emotions that are pushed up in you, not because you're tired or you ate a bad piece of pizza, but because something is happening that is stirring in you that is calling, causing fear and anxiety. Open your mouth and say God's word because it is the truth and it is the only weapon that we have as believers. The fourth ingredient, after you've read scripture, remembered scripture, recite scripture, is to move on. Move on. Do not sit there and argue with this father of lies. Do not sit there and try to wrestle with your own emotion or the thoughts that are back and forth. You can spend hours and days and months and weeks and years, I am living proof of it, sitting there trying to argue something with someone whose only job is to steal, kill, and destroy. He is the father of lies. And when you take the time to try to have this conversation in your head and combat all these things and don't move on, you are only allowing him to rob you of your joy, your peace, your creativity. I'm telling you right now that the, what Jesus says is he drops the mic and says, come, let's be going. Move on. Move on. Move on. Now, 
Your boy's been hyped tonight. He's been pushing it out there. He's been like, man, there's something, something inside, uh, something with this message got inside me and kind of say, I just can't help it. It's kind of just pouring out tonight. It's just alive in me right at the moment. But here's the moment that the rubber meets the road. Okay, it's been all encouraging. Look at the power that's inside of you. Peace of mind, peace of heart has been available to you. God gives great gifts to his kids. We're remembering eternity and forever and all the things he's given us. We are, we are, um, we are uh, so happy that, that he has uh, defeated the enemy. Yes, okay? So now, here's where it all comes to roost. Ready? Last line of your notes. If... After hearing the truth of God's word, we remain living in anger, worry, stress, envy, strife, hatred, or an attitude of defeat. It is because we choose to do so. It is because we choose to do so. Now that was like a sucker punch to the like gut, right? Like it's been like sugar cube, sugar cube, sugar cube, sugar cube, sugar cube, vinegar. You know what I mean? Like, <clears throat> and I was all hype, you know, in the message and feeling we're going this direction. And then the Lord laid that bad boy on me. And I was like, oh, I am not sitting here telling you, hey, you're choosing the wrong thing. You're not choosing joy. I sat in my truck last night as I was kind of talking this message out loud and going over it myself, and I got to this point, and the thrill of the little one-liner that brings it home went away in about a half a second because I had to put my notes down and sit there for a second and go, what have, how have I chosen to live? The honest truth is, is that I spent years as a believer... Uh, living in anger. I spent years as a believer living in worry. And if I can even bring it closer to home, I've spent a large portion of the last two months living defeated. Stress. Worry. I don't know about you, but I am the world champion worrier, overthinker. And when I, when I, my own self, read the truth about who the Spirit of God is and He is living inside of me and that I have done so much to look the other direction instead of pay attention to Him living inside of me and the things that He can bring, I realized I have chosen to live in a way that allows the enemy to rob me whenever he wants. Worry wasn't a mere companion of mine, like a homeboy, and we met for coffee or lunch every other week. No. He moved in and parked his behind right next to my bed. And the thing that really frustrates me, I open a door and let him do it. I let anger fester until it sprouted roots of bitterness that were insanely hard to remove. 
I didn't spend the time fighting all those things and his word. I spent the, all those times fighting by going to God and saying, I don't deserve this. It was, it was rough. I'm not going to lie to you, there are times where it still is. <clears throat> but, if I'm going to keep choosing joy, I'm going to have to remember the power of the Holy Spirit, that it lives in me, that God gave us gifts that are awesome, peace of mind and peace of heart, regardless of my circumstance or what's going on around me. And he's also defeated the enemy that I've spent, I have given way too much of my thought towards. My guess is that the reason the Spirit of God would kind of drop this message this week on me to deliver to everyone in this room and to the people who are watching or listen later is because there are many of us or many people who will listen to this who are choosing to live in another way outside of joy. It's real easy. Uh, open social media, and in about five minutes, your joy will be dissolved and disintegrated, or you never even knew you ever had it. You could be happy or mad about the events of uh, uh, in our country. You can be happy or mad about the events in your own life. You could not care about anything and just be bitter or whatever it is, but you are a believer in Jesus Christ. You have the ability to choose joy. Don't take the bougie iPad. Take the gift from the one who has designed you and has designed the gift specifically for you. Keep it plugged into the source and connected to Him and those gifts will have so much benefit to you.